The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you'll join me uh, as we pray before we go to God's word. Father, we need you this morning. Uh, We need you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Hearts to embrace the reality of the life of worship that you called us to. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you teach and would you change us? We need more than information. We need the ability to receive your word that we might be changed by your word, that we might be transformed by your word, that we might become true worshipers, that we might live on a different trajectory this week than we have last week. Father, I'm a broken man, but your word is straight. Bring it to us in power, in might. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We start a new uh, series this morning on worship. Uh, we believe that worship is encompasses all of life, and um, and we must learn to worship. Um, I have a friend who uh, has a a farm, and he was telling me this week about his farm, and that the first couple of years he watched as the farmer that was leasing the property um, was first growing corn and then growing soybeans. And he noticed the second year that um, along with those soybeans and corn that weeds were growing up. And one day he saw the farmer spraying. And after it, he asked what he was spraying on the wheat and the soybeans. And he said he was spraying it with Roundup. And the obvious question is, well, how in the world do the soybeans and the corn uh, survive the Roundup? I don't know. I mean, we can buy Roundup and spray it on weeds in our yard and anything around dies. Uh, there's a huge, law, huge lawsuit right now against Roundup. Uh, I think it was settled for millions of dollars. Someone died uh, from exposure. But we're eating plants that are resilient 
to round up. How, he asked the farmer, and he said, well, I'm using seeds that are genetically engineered to be resistant to Roundup. And a light went on because he had asked the farmer to leave some of the corn in the field kind of on the edges for the deer to eat, and yet the deer never ate it. And the light went on, and he realized the corn that was being grown, the deer won't even eat it because they know what is on it. They know it is bad for you, and yet it's being sold for human consumption. And the lesson is, what looks nutritious is not always nutritious. What tastes nutritious is not always nutritious. In fact, it could actually hurt you if not kill you. And David this morning is proposing a strict diet. He is proposing that there is food that we can intake, we can consume, and we must consume, and our souls will experience life. Our souls will experience everything they were created to experience, and that diet is a diet of Jehovah, the Lord himself. You see, what David is tapping into and what the Psalms are tapping into is this whole reality that our souls have appetites. Our souls are hungry. It's not as if we just worship when we come here and the music plays and we read the call to worship and we ignite worship. No, we are always worshiping. We are worshiping beings. We read this and see this all throughout the scriptures, but we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Something I forgot to tell you, if you have the Realm, and everybody should have the Realm app on their phone, my sermon outline is on that app. So uh, pull that up, and you'll see my sermon outline. Um, I didn't want to waste any more paper, so I just put it on there. But Deuteronomy 8 is actually written in that outline in the Realm. But the context of this is um, Moses is speaking to his uh, children, first, uh, uh, second generation Israel, as he prepares them to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And this is one of the warnings that he gives in verse 11 of Deuteronomy 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your forefathers as it is this day. And if you forget your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. You see, the reality is... 
We are religious beings. I heard someone say it, actually a chap, chaplain of a soccer team, tell me this week, he said, yeah, I said, I was speaking to one of the soccer players and they said, you know, I'm not really religious. And friends, that is the biggest misnomer. Take soccer away from that professional soccer player and you will find out what he worships. Take money away from the wealthy man and you will find out what he worships. Take beauty away from the beautiful man or woman and you will find out what they worship. Take health away from the one who is athletic and depends upon their strength and you will find out how religious they are and precisely what they worship. We are always worshiping. So, so what, we're, what, what we're seeing here is that our souls have appetites, and if that is true, when we miss our quiet time, when we miss church, a whole lot more is going on than just missing our quiet time and missing church. It is an issue and a matter of worship. We are choosing to worship something other than His Word. We are choosing to depend on something other than the Lord in prayer. We are choosing on that Sunday morning to worship something other than the living God with his people. It is not neutral because we are not neutral. Can we choose uh, when to eat and when not to eat? Are we just going to eat one time a week or maybe once a month? No. Why? Because we have an appetite. Well, what David is saying is and what all the Psalms are saying is, is that your soul has an appetite. What are you feeding it? You see, the fall we read in, from Paul in Romans 1.24 has to do with worship. God gave us over to worship something other than. Listen, Psalm, excuse me, Romans 1.24. God gave them up. He's talking about the fall, Genesis 3. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Friends, to bless something, the Hebrew word there is Barak, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. The Hebrew word is Barak, it means to praise, it means to worship, it means to give something ultimate control. And so if we are worshiping beings and our souls are worshiping something, then something always has ultimate control of our souls. Do you hear me? All of a sudden, we, we've got to get rid of this, this, this misnomer that there is neutrality, that, that there is, um, you know, a no fire zone. That we can get in and just be neutral. We can just veg. No, we're never just vegging. Even in our vegging, we are worshiping. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 6.21, Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So David's goal is to call God's people to feast our souls, indeed, all that is within us on the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. And notice, first and foremost, that worship must first begin in our minds, that it might move to our hearts and then spread out. He doesn't just say, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. He goes to verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and forget not his benefits. And then he launches in. What does it mean to forget not? It means remember. Remember what? Remember his benefits. Then he says, who forgives your iniquities and heals all your diseases. And he goes on. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Heart, healthy soul worship demands that we remember, first of all, that we have a God who has forgiven all our iniquities and in so doing has healed all our diseases. If you meditate on the reality that he has forgiven your iniquities, it will radically change you and make you a worshiper of God. Why? I'll tell you. I was going to a new coffee shop this week called Comeback Coffee. It's in the Pinch District. Um, I think it's one of the best coffee shops I've seen in Memphis and um, have experienced in Memphis. It's an incredible coffee shop. And as I was coming up to the door, you know, it's a glass door like this, and I'm coming up to the door, and I grabbed the handle, and my hand slipped, and I kind of went back a little bit. And I had this immediate reaction. What, What do you think I thought? I hope nobody saw me. And as I did that, I was shocked by the fact that that was my reaction. So I'm a preacher, and so I've got to kind of think about it. And I was writing a sermon, and I said, okay, you know, what is wrong with me? And, you know, what did I think? That I was going to come in the door, and everybody was going to stand up and go, ha, ha, there's the idiot that can't even open a door, and just shame me and laugh me out of the coffee shop. And, you know, I'm, I'm... What did I think was going to happen? Exactly. Thank God I didn't fall. That could have been even, yeah, it would have been over then. But as I started thinking about it, I remember that a couple of weeks ago, I met the owner of the coffee shop, and they're this young couple, this cool young couple, hip, you know, they're into coffee, you know, and they're, you know... Uh, the vibe in there is real cool. And, you know, I'm 54. My cool factor is has vanished. It's probably dead as a doornail. But I still want to believe that I got a little bit left. And so every time I walk in, you know, I feel kind of hip. And what happened? I can't even open the door to get in the place. I mean, dear friends, We are desperate for approval. We are neurologically designed and bent toward approval. And there's a reason. There's a reason we struggle with it. Because what the Bible tells us is something happened. We were created for love. We were created for approval. We were created to walk into a coffee shop and it be like the friend's bar. Everybody, I'm not really showing my age now, but anyway, those, some people will get that. Everybody knows your name and they come, oh, it's Richard. Oh, man, come sit down with it. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. Hug me, you know. See, I'm built for that. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 21, greet one another with a holy kiss. Why? Because we need someone to move toward us. We were created for this. We were created for someone to say, I see you, I value you, I love you. The worst thing that can happen is for somebody to come into this place and sit alone and nobody talk to them and they leave. See, it's so much more than being a welcoming church. 
It's feeding the soul of somebody with what they were created to receive. And that is, I see you. I welcome you. I want to know you. We want you to be part of this family. And the reason it's such a need today is because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. And we see that there's a narrative hooked into this. And the narrative is in Genesis 3. The narrative tells us that Adam sinned. He ate the forbidden fruit and he led his wife into sin. And they died. God was faithful to to bring death into them, to bring death both emotionally and spiritually and physically. But the crescendo of the death was a relational death when God put them out of the garden and put an angel with a flaming sword. You can't get back in. And so we as human beings, every single one of us, it doesn't matter our nationality, it doesn't matter our socioeconomic um, condition or status, every single one of us is, is a marginalized person living on the margins of feeling put out, desperately wanting to get back in. And that's what we're all doing. We're all trying to get back in. We're using our work. We're using sex. We're using power. We're using reputation. We're using our intellect. We're using beauty. We're using health. We're using whatever. We're using our churches. Ah, oh, we're the in ones, but oh, those blasted Baptists. We feel good about us by feeling bad about them. Do you see how it goes? It's all about shame. Shame is an unpleasant, self-conscious emotion typically associated with a negative evaluation of the self. I'm an idiot that can't even open a door. Withdrawal motivations, feelings of distress, exposure. Oh, I hope nobody saw me. Mistrust. I really can't believe you love me because I know me. Powerlessness. Worthlessness. It's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. We've all heard it. Guilt is the consequence of what we do. Shame is the consequence of who we think we are. It's the root of all our worship. It's why we can come into this place but still hold on to the things that we're really worshiping. You see, we're desperately in need of hearing the words, you are enough and you're in. But shame tells us you don't measure up. And if we fight and we get the courage, like Brene Brown says, to press through, then it tells us, who do you think you are? But notice, God doesn't say, no, you're not bad. It's all good. Just love yourself. No, that's not what he says. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities. 
who forgives all of your iniquities, who's removed your sin from you later on in verse 10. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions for us. David knew the reality of God as a forgiving God, but we know the substance because we live this side of the cross of Christ. And we know for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That he might receive condemnation, that he might be shamed, that he might be stripped of his clothes and nailed to a cross publicly and laughed at and spit at and mocked so that Richard Reeves doesn't have to own shame. He was shamed that I might not be shamed. Oh, bless the Lord that would do that for me. See, this is not just worship anything you want that makes you feel better. There is a living God. There is a true God that did something. Yes, you are free to worship who or whatever you want to, but no other religion puts forth a God who removes your iniquities from you as far as the east is from the west. It puts the onus on you to perform. But Jesus performed for us. That's why Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is this reality of Christ living, Christ dying, Christ rising and now through faith, us being accepted wholly and perfectly through the finished work of Jesus. A healthy soul worship demands that we remember the one who did something for us, removed all of our iniquities. But secondly, we need to remember um, the one who redeems our life from the pit, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Brene Brown, Brene Brown, what, what a phenomenon. Several years ago, she did a TED Talk on shame. And it's been watched now 40, over 40 million times. 40 million times. You, you see, shame is epidemic. It's a disease that needs to be healed. And it's a disease that can be healed. But friends, we have to see what heals it. You know, I need you to tell me that you see me and you love me. I need my wife and children to look at me. I need my elders. I need our deacons. I need our staff to look at me and say, I see you and I love you. I see you and, and I value you. Richard, you're enough. But that's not enough. You see, it's not enough just to get enough courage to believe in yourself. Because nothing is going to, you, you've got to have something that goes deeper, that gets down to the root of that voice that is constantly saying, you are not enough. And the only one that can do that is Jehovah God. The only one that can do that is the one that put me out. He's the one that has to tell me I can come back in. His arms are the ones that I have to run to. Oh, I'm created to need you to give me that. But, oh, I need something so much more. I need a God, the God of glory, to tell me that I am enough and His arms are open to me. You see, guilt and shame are weakened by God's forgiveness, but God's love is guilt and shame's destruction. Hear me. 
it, it's good to hear, Richard, you're forgiven. That's good. All right. I can deal with my guilt and shame a little bit, but I'm still deep down at the end of the day. I still feel unworthy. Your sins are forgiven, Richard, but here's something else. Your God, the one who puts you out, is putting a crown on your head. And that crown is steadfast love. We wear hats. Some people have hats on this morning. I wear Orvis hats because I like Orvis and I like to fly fish. And I like people to think that I fly fish. Pretty much the only hat I had. I've got a Wimbledon hat too. Maybe some other hats. I want people to think I'm cool because I went to Wimbledon. But you know the hat God puts on our heads? One that reads, steadfast love. One that I can look in the mirror and say, it doesn't matter what I feel today. I don't have to pretend that God loves me. He's the one that puts a crown on my head and it says, steadfast love. A steed is a strong horse. That's where this word comes, steadfast. It's unmovable. It's unchanging. It, it, it cannot be forced away. It cannot be pushed away. It cannot be sinned away. It's steadfast love. And it's on my head. And because of that, I can fall flat on my face in the coffee shop and I can get up and I can say, oh, but my hat didn't fall off. Because my hat says steadfast love. He crowns me with steadfast love and mercy. He remembers my frame. He knows I'm just dust. He knows that what I need and what I need is His love. He knows the only thing that's going to heal me is Him. And so He tells me four times in this psalm, verse 4, verse 8, verse 11, and 17, that our God is a God who loves us with a steadfast love. You see, friends, we cannot forget, do not forget the benefits of your God. Dear friends, pull out the benefit package of the Christian life. That's what David is saying. I have never read my health insurance benefit package. I just, you know. But what God is saying is read the details of this benefit package. Because it reads, Richard Reeves, a child of God, steadfast love, crowned on his head, unmovable, unchangeable. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. Oh, yes, I do. I'm your God. I'm the one who puts you out. I know everything. Not only do I know what you did, I know what you're going to do. Steadfast love crowned on your head. And then we have power. Then we have power to live a new life. Then we have power to seek new community. You see, if I know that I'm loved, then I don't have to use you to prove to me that I'm loved. I can love you. I, I don't have to use you to try to get a compliment as you're going out. Hey, what would you think about that sermon? Oh, you were amazing, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I need it so bad. Tell me more. Tell me more. Oh, no, 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 no. What I'm really saying. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, that meal. Oh, man, Richard, that hamburger, the best hamburger ever in the world. You pull off the grill. You know, I mean, I don't need that. See, I'm tripping again. Um, I don't need that if I know that the one who put me out has let me back in because what he believes is now my life 
What he believes is now my song. What he believes is now my power. And friends, now let's get to the let's get down to brass tacks. Why is it that what we're doing at downtown church is so hard? It's because to bring races and classes together, there's no way to talk about race without talking about privilege. And there's no way to talk about privilege without dealing with shame and shame paralyzing us. I heard somebody say this week, I come to downtown church and I feel ashamed to be white. I, I, I was like, man, there's my sermon. Man, I got that down. I've heard it a number of times and I felt it. I hear my African-American brothers and sisters say it is hard. It is exhausting to come to downtown church because I am reminded of how marginalized I am. I've got to explain to majority culture. I've got to, I've got to be on even at church. It's hard. So how do we do it? And it's hard to be Asian and it's hard to be Latino because I never even point you out. It's always black and white. <laughs> it's hard. It's impossible unless our shame has been dealt with. And now you do you understand downtown church why we can't put it on cruise control and just walk in this room and go through the motions for an hour, hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 sometimes. Because unless your soul is being fed by the reality that your transgressions are forgiven and you have the crown of love on your head, then you will not have power. This church will be exhausting to you. It will be isolating to you. And it's absolutely mandatory that this not become some new cultural norm that African-Americans and whites and wealthy and poor and middle class all come together. No, we must be a worshiping community in reality. We can't just show up. We have to be worshiping through the week. We have to wake up in the morning and say, feed my soul, O God. Oh, Jehovah, remind me who you are. Remind me what you've done for me. Because I will be the most bitter, angry. I will look for something else to replace you today because my soul has an appetite. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name, for He has made a way back in. But then thirdly, a healthy soul worship demands we remember the benefits of our God who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We don't have time. I wish we could spend weeks on this psalm, and I wish we could. But just two things. What, what does it mean, who satisfies you with good? What are a couple of good things? Here's one. Uh, one good is the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. We have a God who works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Michael Rhodes, I didn't ask permission, but it's on Facebook, so I don't have to ask permission. Uh, he made a post this week. Uh, he's a professor at MCUTS, um, and he made this post. Let me read it. Quote, Michael Rhodes, I gave an assignment where students had to ask people from different backgrounds about what the cross of Christ meant to them. This answer was from a previously incarcerated person. And so he's quoting a man who had spent time in jail. 
Here's the man's reply of what the cross meant to him, means to him. Jesus represents freedom in my mind. I have been in a setting where there was someone telling me when I can eat, sleep, wake up, and even use the bathroom. As far as the warden and every guard in the prison was concerned, I was merely a number in chains. I felt hopeless. But when Jesus came into my heart, I felt freedom I could not describe. I began to realize that Jesus is Lord and was able to forgive me of all my sins. He still loved me with an unconditional love. His love is all-powerful, and He can be everywhere at the same time, even if you're in a dark, dirty, and lonesome jail cell. I know Jesus as my deliverer. Oh, dear friend, what prison are you in this morning? Is it the prison of trying to get people to think you're cool or tough or mean? Is it the prison of trying to get people to think that you've got it all together? Is it the prison of trying to make enough money to feel significant? Is it the prison of trying to get a body thin enough, strong enough, tight enough, so others will value you? What prison are you in? Jesus says, I free you because I'm dancing over you with joy. Oh, my goodness. Yes, does he literally bring freedom? Yes. Did his economic laws of the Old Testament design real freedom for the poor? Yes. But does he deliver all of us from whatever prison that we're living in? Absolutely. Dear friends, you are not your financial condition this morning. You are not your body this morning. You are not your intellect this morning. You are crowned with forgiveness and love. The second good, last good, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Everybody in this room has some type of father wound, even if you had a good father. Why? Because no father is good enough. Because our job as fathers is to point to the Father. And so none of us do it perfectly. Some of us do it horribly. So we all have father wounds. And because of that, what we need to hear is we have a God who doesn't just let us close, the almighty, powerful one, but he adopts us as sons and daughters. As we were going through that exercise this morning of remembering God's love, contemplating God's love, it's impossible unless you know the words of the gospel, unless you know the word itself. What immediately came to my mind when um, uh, Michael told us to do that, I immediately started thinking about Ephesians 1. In love, he predestined Richard Reeves to be his own. I thought about uh, Romans 7, where um, Paul is teaching about the Spirit, where the Spirit is in our hearts crying, Abba, Father. The very purpose, one of the primary purposes of the Spirit of God in us is to remind us that we are children and we have a Father. It's not to be these independent, I don't need anybody. That is, that is death and destruction. 
but it's to be a little kid. It's to come in here as a 50-year-old man and raise my hands and say yes to my father. It's to receive his love. It's to dance in his presence. It's to respond to what is absolutely true because his word says it. In everything that I am, all my soul, all that I am, rejoicing and responding to the glorious Father of heaven and earth. I have a daddy. Oh, my earthly daddy was a drunk who wanted me to perform and be like him so that I could be acceptable to him when he didn't even love himself. But oh, my heavenly Father, he looked down and he sent his son to redeem me. He sent his son, he saw me in all my sin, and he said, I'm going to become your performance for you, my son, because I want you that bad. I love you that much. I want to own you as my son. I want to have you in my home. I want to spend eternity with you. That's what I'm made for. And I didn't get it from my dad, but oh, am I getting it now from my heavenly father? Do you see it? And from that comes worship, not just on Sunday morning, but I need to hear that at 530 tomorrow morning. I need to hear it at noon tomorrow. I need to hear it before I go to bed tomorrow night because everything else is going to going to support the suspicion in my heart that I'm really a put out one, not a one who is in. And that's why worship is so important. I must, with all that I am, be steering toward him. In essence, I must have disciplined schedule and practice when it comes to worship in my life. This is how this psalm ends. Listen. Bless the Lord. I mean, it's almost like David gets out of control. He's thinking about the, 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 you know, the, the theology of God's love and forgiveness and, 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 and the facts of, of his love that he, um, frees all the captive and oppressors and, and, and then he just kind of just, okay, I'm, I'm done. Bless the Lord. Oh, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Let all creation sing. Let everything bless the Lord. Why? Because we are self-righteous, narrow-minded bigots believing our God is the only one? No, because that's how covenant love works and that's what we were made for. Try to go tell your spouse that, it, or your girlfriend or boyfriend that you're not going to be faithful to them because that's just narrow-minded. That's just being a bigot. What am I to say that you're the one for me? There are probably a lot of people for me. That doesn't work. It's just intellectually ridiculous. And that's why God, throughout all the Bible, is doing this, the one most wonderful favor, saying, I am the one true God. I'm the one who will feed your soul because I made you. I formed you. I know what you respond to. You respond to blessing me, my name, with all that you are, your soul and everything in you. And when you don't do that, you're just going to die. And I don't want to see you die. Yes, you're free to worship whatever, whoever you want. But oh, if you want to know freedom, you want to know love, understand that the God of heaven and earth is the one who will love you like no one else. And he will free you like no one else. So dear friends, how do you respond to this sermon? Discipline, schedule, practice. Richard, you talked a lot about love. Just let us go love. I talked about love in the context of a fallen worshiping body, mind, and soul. And so what we need is we need a discipline, a schedule, 
and practice. We need to go to God's Word. We need to pray to God. And it needs to be disciplined, scheduled, and practiced. It's not just going to happen because your soul is going to want to worship something else. Discipline, schedule, practice. What we do here on Sunday morning should just be a culmination and kind of a launching, a culmination of what we've been doing through the week and a springboard into the next week. It should not be the only meal of the week. Discipline, schedule, practice. Everybody say that. Discipline, schedule, practice. Get in His Word. Have the discipline to sit down and make a plan. Schedule when you're going to do it. And practice the heck out of it. Discipline, schedule, practice. And see if your heart, see if your soul doesn't begin to change. Oh, it's hard because you want to worship a whole lot more. Netflix is easier. Facebook is easier. Instagram is more entertaining. Discipline, schedule, practice. Get in His Word. Adriana started doing something a couple of weeks ago, sending out the songs in realm before Sunday morning. Tomorrow we're going to have all the psalms that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. Take one of those songs. Take this psalm. Memorize it this week. Discipline, schedule, practice to, to, um, 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 to memorize this psalm. I've memorized half of it. I'm horrible at memorizing. Horrible. It takes hours for me to memorize something. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I, it, I'm, I'm like a second grade level memorizer. But that's okay. It just means I've got to spend more time. Discipline, schedule, practice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that You formed our souls toward one who brings life. And so God, I pray that we would form our souls in Your direction. That we would say no to the gods of this world that we would say no to the gods of our flesh, and we would listen to your voice this week, that we would be a congregation, a people, a family that feast upon your word. Help us to do so. And we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to respond to his word now as we bring our gifts to the Lord, our financial gifts, and as we prepare our heart to go before the table this morning. Think about how you're going to discipline schedule and practice a new routine of worshiping God through the week. If you need help, reach out to Adriana, reach out to me, reach out to Michael, reach out to another staff person. If you need help, if you want, want guidance, may we become a worshiping community at Downtown Church. Amen.